Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello again today. It is happy Wednesday. So today we have with us Elizabeth Kipp. She is a stress management and historical trauma specialist who uses trauma-trained and yoga-informed addiction recovery coaching, ancestral clearing, compassionate inquiry, and yoga to help people with their healing. Elizabeth healed from over 40 years of over chronic, of chronic pain, including anxiety, panic attacks, and addiction. She now guides others to unleash their healing power, find freedom from suffering, and live a thriving life. She is the best-selling author of The Way Through Chronic Pain, Tools to Reclaim Your Healing Power. We are super excited to have her here today. Hello, Elizabeth. Oh, hi, Terry. Thank you so much. And hello to the audience. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's always fun to share stories of hope and healing, and you apparently have a good one. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got here. Sure. I was, I was raised in, in what we would call in this group a dysfunctional family. Um, and it really started uh, when I was in utero um, and my mother wasn't trying to hurt me. She just didn't know any better uh, where she, she drank the alcohol and smoked cigarettes and because that's what people did in her world. And then um, when I was born, she went into um, just immediately. So that's how fast the chemistry can shift. Um, she went into a deep depression and, it was like I was separated for her from nine months. I also was born with a closed pyloric valve, which is the little valve um, uh, at the top of the stomach that opens to allow food to come in. So I couldn't, um, my pediatrician at the time uh, put my mattress on a 45 degree angle and gravity opened that, but it took two weeks to do it. So no mother and difficulty getting food. And that's, a setup right there for, you know, not trusting the world and all kinds of kind of meaning making and, dis and, and dysfunction, not feeling safe, all that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, my mom was an undiagnosed uh, bipolar disorder. So she had unresolved trauma in her system because that's strategy, really, that bipolar thing is trauma specialists would call that a, a strategy to deal with unresolved trauma, bipolar disorder. Not everybody says it that, but the, the trauma people would say that. Um, her mother died in the Second World War um, and um, uh, her, her mom was on a ship with her little brother and they were torpedoed by the Germans. And so that was a whole thing. <laughs> Right. And I, right. And I remember being and my dad was in the Pacific. So my mom, you know, so they both had these experiences in the Second World War and their parents before that in World War One and on back. So um, so I just one of the reasons why I do ancestral work is because we we come in 
uh, science has even shown it. We come in with the with the with the frequency or the energy or the information, whatever however you want to label that, of past unresolved trauma. We feel it. Um, there have been studies on it, and and uh, and I'm kind of a living example of it. And I remember being four years old and kind of looking around in the living room and not having the words for it, but wondering what was I doing in this family. I felt this um, darkness and heaviness in the, I could feel it in the air. And I, I, you know, I didn't realize it was really coming off my parents, but it was all the same to me. It was just this heaviness and not joyous. Like joy was very ephemeral and quirky. Um, it, it really, it really um, joy in my life, the way I saw my parents in that space was it was always around humor and it was, it was very quick and then it was gone. So accessing joy, which is, you know, the yogis say that's our natural state. That's something, <laughs> but the work of yoga then is to clear all the blocks to joy that we have to joy. So that was, um, and that's also part of the work of um, finding balance after living in a dysfunctional situation right? Either we're dysfunctional, we're living with a dysfunctional family, it makes us dysfunctional, whatever, our, our, our reaction to it is dysfunctional. The work there is to is to clear the burden, the blocks that can are I, keeping- Can I stop you? I'm sorry. I don't mean yeah. to do this. Can, oh, I'm going to, if you don't mind, if it's okay with you, I'm going to actually stop this and start it again, only because oh. my son just jumped in the shower and the pipes through the walls, I can barely even hear you. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. That's fine. Is yeah, that that's, okay with you? I, I'm not, I, it's not, it's not coming through here, by the way. It's not. I can't hear it. Okay. But then I will, then I will see how it goes and we'll keep going then. If you can't hear me, that that's an issue. <laughs> you gotta be. No, I can hear you. It's just, I can hear that. And I didn't want that to be a major distraction. It's not coming in. So, I don't, okay. Well, we'll keep going then. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> So this thing about joy, this dysfunctional family, and I work with, you know, as a recovery coach, I work with pretty much everybody that's in recovery that I know has been at the root of it is this, this um, unresolved trauma around uh, living in a dysfunctional environment. Um, so the, 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 we all are having difficulty accessing joy. It's not normal for us. It, the normal is where the eggshells, because I got to be careful about where they are. Like walking on eggshells is normal for us. So we get into this and that becomes a really interesting. It becomes a habit. It's an adaptation, right? The way that we handle it, it becomes, a, and in a strange way, it becomes, this is our comfort zone here. We know what this is. We know how to navigate this, even though we, you know, we're getting it from all angles. We still know how to walk around the eggshells, like we know. And then when we don't have them, like, well, now what do I do? I don't even know how to navigate this. So we have to do this, as me for sure, have to do this rewiring. Anyway, fast forward to um, by the time I was 14, I, I, um, I, I had a lot of chronic pain already in my gut, but I physical chronic pain, but I didn't understand that that was the way I was holding my stress, right? I wasn't allowed to emote. My mother was emoting all over the place, but <laughs> mostly in rage. And 
unpredictably, but every day I knew it was going to come from somewhere sometime. So it was this, um, the only pattern was that it would be every day and I didn't know when. So that creates chaos as well. And by the time I was 14, I had an additional trauma where I, I fell off a horse and landed on a rock and broke my fifth lumbar front to back. And oh. I had had so much pain in my life by then. I got up from, I was able to, I walked away from that accident. And because I walked away, I figured I was okay. I mean, it hurt, but I had no idea to broke a bone. So that gives you an idea of the level of pain that I was already dealing with and how I had accommodated to it. I just gotten used to it. And so and another assault was like, okay, keep going. Right? I can physically keep going. So I will, right? Seven years later, I had an x-ray because it got had the, the uh, situation in my back had gotten um, like different. And um, I went to a bunch of doctors and they said, oh, you have an old injury. I was like, oh, I know when that happened. <laughs> right? Wow. And, and then I, the chiropractors kept me going for another seven years. And then I had to have surgery because it became quite unstable. And they were worried about that front part of the bone just slipping right off the spinal cord. It's, it's sitting 80% into my pelvis at this point, but it's held together with um, metal. I'm kind of like the bionic woman. It's got a, like a metal cage around it. Hmm. But it took it took four surgeries uh, to deal with that, and and every time they um, I had a surgery, they added more pain medicine, and they their answer to the pain I was in all the time was opiates and any anxiety medicine. Gosh. And there and then 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 and then their prognosis was you will be in level seven out of ten pain for the rest of your life, and you will be in a wheelchair when you're forty. Learn to live with it. Wow. And I was like, wow, <laughs> the same I was like, wow, that's, um, but I also knew because I had the science background, I also knew that scientific paradigm shift, Western science operates in science, the scientific method. And I also knew that science has a limited, the method that the, the science itself is a framework that's limited. It can only it can only comment on that which it can observe, measure, and describe. Mm -hmm. But we live in the all that is, not just in the part that science can observe, measure, and describe. And we heal on the all that is. So I knew that I was going to have to go, that, that science could get me so far, but I was going to have to go beyond that to get to my healing. And it just took me a while to find a doctor who actually understood the nature of chronic pain and how to heal it. And he wrote a book. Uh, Conquer Chronic Pain, an Innovative Mind-Body Approach, Dr. Peter Prescott, who really understood the nature of chronic pain. He used a holistic model. He understood the Western, Western medicine, and he understood Eastern. So he was this beautiful <laughs> combination. And I remember sitting in front of him and he said to me, I don't want to see your x-rays or your records. I want to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, where have you been all my life? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> this is amazing. So that was the beginning of me actually being able to sort out the kind of snowballing avalanche of, of dysfunction that my life became. And um, yeah, so I, I was, I was really grateful for that. Yeah. 
I hope that made sense. So that's a little background on. No, that. It, it absolutely does. I'm still, you know, I I hear things and they kind of like, wow, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you were in such chronic pain that something a severe accident didn't phase you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That you were kind of like, ah, it's just another hurt, owie, you know? I know, I know. Oh my god, yeah, I know. I had a I had a hockey ball. Um, I, I played hockey when I was a kid. And I had a hockey ball that was hit by the fullback, big girl, right? Hit by the, the, the fullback on the other side, came right and hit me right here, knocked me a hockey ball and knocked me right out. And when I woke up, the 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 coach is like, you okay? I'm like, well, my obviously I'm okay. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm awake, you know. And that was it. And I was expected to get up and go back into the you know, go back and play. And it was like, that's just, it was like no pain, no gain. That was the Mm -hmm. mantra that we lived under. It was really weird because we had that, no pain, no gain. And when somebody, somebody had like got hurt, generally, not always with me, obviously, but when somebody got hurt, the adults would rush into the area and they would do whatever they could do to keep the pain away. Like, so the message was pain is bad. We're at war with pain. Right. Right. Or if you have pain, we don't care. Keep moving. Yeah. Right. So there's like no education about pain is actually information. We need to take care of it. There was none of that. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually, that was my first, I never went to the doctor, couldn't stand the doctor because I was just like, they're just going to give me medicine. That's not going to work. I mean, I can work through most of this stuff, but I got, as I got older, I started to decide that when it hurt to touch my own body, then it it was maybe time to go like, you know, appendicitis and, and, and a slip disc and those kind of things like, okay, there's, there's something that needs to happen. I mean, you need to do something. So was your pain medicine that they constantly gave you for the back, was that what got you into the addiction or was it just your mother that was in the addicted portion? Oh, now we can have a whole comment on that. We can have a whole conversation on that. So first of all, chronic pain itself, stress, like chronic stress creates, like I said, it's a way like the, the like walking on eggshells thing, So chronic pain is any pain that's felt 15 days out of 30 for three months or more. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, the body, the brain can't tell the difference between any of them. It all sends the same signal it hurts. So a broken bone and a broken heart, same signal, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm living in an environment where there's chronic pain, it's chronic stress all the time eggshells. We're walking, all of us realize that, like all of us living in that kind of environment. That's stress. That actually creates a habit. And those chemicals, it's not like, um, it's not like the same thing as sugar or opiates or things like that. It's not the same, but it does create a, uh, 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 those hormones are, those stress hormones are addictive. So I was an addict. I was an addict in the womb because I was used to alcohol and tobacco. And when I got out of the womb, I had to detox from that. But then they put me on sugar. So there's that. So I really have been an addict. I've been in the frequency of some kind of addiction my whole life. Now it got, it got, it really ballooned 
um, when I got on the opiates and the benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. And the last 15 years, that was 31 years I was on those. And the last 15 of those was fentanyl. And you're not going to find too many people nowadays that have been on fentanyl that long that lived. Oh, no. Right. So I, I'm kind of like, why am I even here? I'm like, it's, 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 it's really a very humbling space to have been taking that drug and having made it through because so many people didn't. Right. And it was a prescribed and they say it's better, you know, it's prescribed person. Well, it, it, it doesn't. It was prescribed and I, I did take it. Um, I did take it as, as prescribed. Thank God if I hadn't, and you know, I probably wouldn't be here, but I took it as prescribed, but still, you know, I kept hearing of other patients that were on fentanyl that were not waking up. Yeah. And I would go to bed at night going, I wonder if I'll wake up tomorrow. And not really, I, and I was so um dysfunctional and dissociated and 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 disappointed <laughs> and dis. <laughs> about yeah, all the disses. Um, that I really didn't, I, I, that didn't, that didn't raise my, my, my red flags. It was just like, maybe I won't wake up. Like, who does that? Somebody who is kind of like gone so far, they don't care anymore. Wow. And that's also a function. It's not just a function of pain in the way I was making, what I was making it mean. It's also a function of the medication. Yeah. I, I, I feel that very strongly. Yeah. Absolutely. So what was your moment where you were just like, okay, enough is enough? Well, I knew it. I knew I got to a point where I, 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 I kept trying to get come down off the pain medicine and I, and I, I just couldn't, I got about halfway up down from where I had been and I couldn't get any further. And I was just so sick all the time. I would get up in the morning and, and if I didn't have my pain medicine on board, I, I mean, I just couldn't function. And, and then functioning became my bar for what functioning was got lower and lower and lower. And, and I was just like, you know what, I, I want off this medicine. I don't really actually care about the pain anymore. I just want off the medicine. And it, and it, and I, and I found Dr. Prescott and, and he was, it was interesting to talk with him. He, he didn't, I didn't tell him much. He, he knew cause he knew what medicines I was on, but he knew I was having panic attacks. Right. My prescribing doctor didn't know any of that. He didn't understand the connection between benzodiazepines and panic attacks. Like that wasn't something we talked about. He knew I was having them, but he didn't put those two compounds together, (laughs) panic attack and benzos, which they'll cause that. You take them to help you with anxiety, but they actually will cause it uh, if you take it kind of off label. They're really only research to take uh, a benzodiazepine for uh, every once in a while for two weeks. And then you're not supposed to take any longer. I was on 30 or 31 years. So way off label, (laughs) even though it's way way off label. right? Well, you know, and and ultimately your body is a miraculous healer, but it can't heal if you're continuing to put this stuff in it that makes it think it's healing. So a good, I mean, I'm the same way. I had bleeding ulcers when I was 18 and obviously stress induced. I mean, no people shouldn't have bleeding ulcers. So it was obviously stress and anxiety and everything. And so it was just constantly, you know, fix the symptom, fix the symptom. And so even something as simple as over-the-counter or prescription antacids, which they say don't take more than two weeks, it just becomes part of your life. And it's, you know, at 26 years of taking what they say, three times what they say don't take more than two weeks, 
your body now is like, okay, I'm not going to produce anything because she's going to pop something in my mouth to fix it. <laughs> your body forgets how to work almost. You have to retrain your body as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is why I talked about the joy. You actually have to, the retraining is clearing the blocks to our natural state really is what it is. But when I met Dr. Prescott, he asked me, he, did, he knew I was having panic attacks. And he said, I, this is what he said, I can reset your stress response. He never promised me about the pain, that the pain would go away. And I didn't care. I was like, dude, if you can help me with that, I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was all it took. And what was interesting is I went into his program with 40 years of chronic pain. I walked out 52 days later with no pain. And I wasn't an exception. He had a 94% success rate with people that may not have had been in pain as long as I had, but people 10 to five years, 10 years, you know, of, of pain with this, some kind of cocktail medical cocktail that had been prescribed for them and they were detoxing from it. And he was helping us with the, once you get off all that medicine, then you have you and your wits, you've got you and your emotions are like a hundred percent on right now. We do because I, you have, I've had no training in any of that. And I suppressed it all my life, right? That the training was don't show anybody how you really feel because then you're going to get in trouble. Oh yeah. So then it was like, well, now what do I do? And he helped. That's what the 52 days, you know, was sending me on a trajectory to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> so then you started a normal path of just regular therapy or how did, I mean, you being very aware, self-aware and in tune to the energies and the natural way of doing things, I'm assuming it was more of those modalities. Well, yeah, I went, uh, I had such a, a benefit because I had, um, I had a good friend who was in recovery and also had this mad yoga practice, <laughs> this like incredibly healing yoga practice. And I went straight into that practice and I got a sponsor and I started going to uh, Narcotics Anonymous meetings. To, so I was in a community of people like you're getting a community of people that like are going through the work and they're trying to find you know, their balance and you, you, you need to be in a community to help. That's part of it. And, and so the, the yoga helped me regulate my nervous system. Mm-hmm. The community helped me have a sense of belonging. And then I could learn and also lots of nutrition and stuff. Like I had to, I had to, you know, I had to completely, I had a functional doctor on board so that we, we looked at food allergies and, and food sensitivities and blood work and all the stuff and genetic stuff. We found out, you know, this and that, and we made adjustments. And, and so it was a program and I, yes, I did, did do some therapy, um, but I, uh, therapy was not so much, a, um, it wasn't, I wasn't as big as the other things I talked about. Also, also the ancestral clearing piece was huge. That was a, a big, a big getting into the ancestor. I remember I told you, like, I, I felt this thing when I was four and what is this? And we can't, yeah, the ancestral clearing. I was so surprised at how powerful that was that I, I went on to be a practitioner. I, I went and took the training as soon as I could in 2014. So six months out of, out of, um, out of uh, treatment, <laughs> out of this rehab, I went right into that practitioner training because it was so powerful. And I do that all the time along with recovery coaching. I do that too. Yeah. The ancestral stuff is so fascinating to me because it just doesn't seem possible 
but it, I, I know, I believe it a hundred percent. You hear stories about people who's like parents were grandparents were, or great grandparents or whatever were slaves or something. And these people just grow up feeling like they're, they're just trapped and locked and they don't know why, and they don't know the history. And then they come to find out, or even in the womb, like, you know, you hear stories about people talking about their whole life. They just felt like they're suffocating and strangling and then come to find out their cord was wrapped around their neck. <laughs> but, you know, and you just you don't think about that the trauma can happen so pre-birth even. It's it, the energies and it's just so it's just there. And so many people don't even acknowledge it or think it's woo woo. And, you know, I, I say I'm 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 in the perfect age right now because it's not woo woo. People are starting to really give it some credit. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, Rachel Yehuda, I'm so glad you brought that in. Uh, she did some work um, when her team uh, did a study of um, people that were um, uh, survivors of the Holocaust or their descendants. Yep. Versus the, the population that hadn't been exposed to that. And our and the cortisol levels were different with the ones that had had that experience, whether they were descendants or or ones that had experienced it. It was very, so it's passing through. So their resilience was different. Now, the, the good news is, is that you can build your capacity for resilience through, you know, the kind of work I do. And I'm not sure what kind of work you do, but you're probably familiar with it. Um, this retraining the nervous system, retraining the brain, you can build your capacity for resilience, which gets which gets quite fragile and um, narrow uh, with a dysfunctional uh, family situation or environment situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like I tell my kids, there's so much to be said for generational trauma that is scientific as far oh. as just what they know, what happens to the different parts of your brain when you go through trauma. And, and, your fight and flight and fright and fawn and all that stuff, like it literally changes your DNA. So then you turn around and you have children and they're going to get some of that. So regardless, it's, uh, you know, you have that one person in a generation that says enough is enough. I'm going to stop this. It continues for generations and people need to not let it be the shameful secret that my mother was an alcoholic, because even if I never picked up a bottle of beer or a bottle of vodka, my kids are going to almost be para-alcoholics or co-alcoholics or whatever. Well, they have the, they have the, they have the potential. Yes. There's no, like, we don't know of a gene, but they have the predisposition is there if the environment is right, which is more epigenetic, right? Right. That's, so that's the thing that, that, um, that we're, that we're working with when we're doing the rewiring, the ancestral clearing, the, yoga, all these things are this effect change epigenetically right. and, and will help us when we talk about building resilience, all that is helping to switch uh, and actually switches, switches from off to on or on to off in the, in the um, epigenetic part of the genome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that story about the, the, one of those studies with the rats and the cherry blossom. <laughs> And uh -huh. I, I do that to give people that go, oh, no, it's just me. It's me. It's my fault. I did this. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I tell them the rats and the cherry blossom where, you know, you shock the, the rat and with the scent of the cherry blossom and they run. And then literally two or three generations later, you, all you have to do is wave that cherry blossom scent in front of those rats and they scurry like they've been shocked. 
And yeah. I'm like, you know, Grandpa Rat didn't say, hey, honey, don't smell the cherry blossom. It's going to hurt the bottom of your feet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I have a thing about spiders, but I don't have one around snakes. Like it's in the bones. And I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, how does that work? And when I got into this, because I noticed it many, many years ago, and I and I got into this work and I was like, now I understand. Right? I, I mean, it's kind of fear of that stuff is, is in the human genome. But mm-hmm. in my particular lineage of it, the, 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 there was more, more activation around spiders than snakes. Right. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a product of all that. And that's how it came out in me. <laughs> so. it's, it's amazing how it works. So tell people how they can, like, what is, a, like, how do they work with you? What, what do you offer? Oh, so I offer, I do a lot of uh, one-on-one uh, sessions um, online. Um, and I have, uh, I have a couple of a, a group coaching that I do. I have a trauma recovery program that I have, um, online, uh, through the wellness universe. And I have another one that's e- both of them are evergreen. I'm just working in the trauma informed in the trauma recovery one now live. I have another one on, on healing chronic pain, uh, in recovery and, uh, and that's evergreen. And I can put those links in there. Uh, that's those are those are each 12 uh 12 part um programs and they're donation only so you can go in and it's a you know an hour to 90 minutes per lesson so that's a lot of information that's a lot and, of information <laughs> yeah and it's a donation only uh program so you can donate or you can come in for free it's kind of whatever you however you want but it's there so that's pretty cool. You can always get me for a private session uh, through my website. You can hit me up for a twenty-five uh, for a fifteen-minute introductory session for free, or you can pay for a twenty-five or fifty-minute session. It's all on my website, elizabeth-kip.com. You got to put, put all of the all of your links. I'll put in the show notes, so every they'll have everything. Perfect. Yeah. So, um, so if you had to give one piece of advice, I always ask people for this. If you are feeling stuck, don't know where to go, you hear this, you hear about ancestral, you know, you hear all this stuff. What would be one piece of advice as to where to start? Oh, well, I would start asking for help immediately. I started just with the people around me. I really, it was kind of like a call I put out to the universe. I need help. When you asked me, when did I finally like say I had enough? What did I do? I asked for help. I started it just with a prayer. Help is a prayer. It can be that simple. And then I turned to, I started talking to my friends. And, and through that, I was, I found Dr. Prescott. So really asking for help, which is a very scary thing to do in a dysfunctional environment because we have let down, because we've asked so many times and we got let down and everybody said no, or when we asked, we got in trouble. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of programming around, keep your head down, girl. <laughs> right? Otherwise, you know, trouble's coming. And, and, and so the, 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 the message that I'm giving is ask for help. It's there for you. Very good. Very nice. I mean, that's the most important. And you're right. There's so much shame and stigma involved in some of the stuff that people don't want to step out. And that's why we have this podcast. We have it because we want people to know they're not alone. There's help out there. There's no shame in asking. So what is your number one message for people? Is that it? Just ask for help? Well, there's that. And then the other one is, is, um, 
Well, there's so many, but I, I just, this one. The greatest healer in your life lives within you. Amen. Not out there in a doctor or a therapy or a modality. All the healers out there, however, whoever they show up, they're there as guides to help bring you back to you. That's really important because that understanding that not just intellectually, but in the, in your bones, understanding that kind of on a cellular level gives you so much more empowerment to your own healing. Otherwise you're like a victim to, you know, you're feeling like a victim to everybody else's. Maybe they can help me. Maybe they can't. Yeah. You're a victim to everything until you decide that you, what you, and I've always said that, you know, that's my biggest thing is every, everything you need is inside of you. You just need to dig it out. You need to peel back yeah. the layers and and find it yeah. in there because it's all in there. We're all born so, this beautiful divine spirit, you know, this beautiful divine person. We just need to let them let them out. Yeah. So we're so we're asking for help, but the kind of help we're asking for is please guide me. Guide me. Because I have an internal healer here. I just need some help, you know. I need some help with it. I need help. Mostly for me, I was getting in the way of my own healing because of what I was doing. Right. And I think we all tend to do that. We all tend to self-sabotage, but until you rewire some of those thoughts, that's, that's part of it. And it's, it's a messy journey sometimes, but it's messy, but it's okay. It's all worth it. So that's right. And you'll have lots of help with it. You know, in a group like this, are you kidding? You've got all kinds of people that can, they can hold you and, 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 and be there with you. We have to each go through it ourselves, but we don't have to do it alone. We do it together. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming. And we will hopefully hear from you again in the future. It was amazing. I want to do more reading and stuff about the ancestral clearing because that's fascinating to me, but I appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks so much, Tammy. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, anytime. And for all of you out there listening, you have a blessed day. And remember, as I always say, it is never too late to start healing. And there is absolutely hope and recovery for everyone out there. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.